0: Welcome to episode 307 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall
1: Bach. Welcome back to another episode. Brian, we got some listener questions, and we got some iOS 13 to talk about.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. And luckily, well, hmm, unluckily, but luckily, no sponsor. (laughs) So we can dig right in. Blessing and a curse. Blessing and a curse. Yeah. If you want to sponsor us, get in touch. Otherwise, we have a little bit of follow up. Last week, Marshall, we jokingly mentioned what if we made a shirt or maybe a hoodie i think that just said it depends on the front mm-hmm. and somebody tweeted and said if there was it depends merch i'd be totally into it and i've been thinking about it yeah it's been rolling around in the back of my head <laughs> yeah D- I do you have designs brian yeah it's just going to be text that says it depends period and it'll be big across the chest there you go all right so listeners if that sounds interesting we could maybe set up like a cotton bureau or something i don't know i don't know if i'd wear it but (laughs) because i only wear black and white t-shirts but (laughs) uh, I, i like the idea of of hoodies and, and t-shirts that say it depends
1: well it would have to be gray right because
0: nothing's black and white uh, right? so <laughs> yeah i guess so Actually, it'd have to be a gray hoodie with gray text <laughs> you know how some shirts have like nice sewn labels on them like on the sleeve or like on the bottom hem uh-huh, uh-huh. that'd be kind of cool like it depends it's like it's a small design detail of an otherwise plain shirt i would wear that
1: i'm thinking yeah i, I would totally do like an oversized pullover hoodie or something yeah. that'd be cool yeah that'd be fun well to be determined, TBD. Neither of us have time, but it sounds fun. <laughs> okay, so so that's merch follow up. Got a little bit of a truncat follow up. So I mentioned truncat last week. Uh, it's a little sketch plugin from front of the show, Kevin Gutowski, and uh, it basically adds truncation to the beginning, middle, or end of your single line text strings in Sketch, and it has keyboard shortcuts set up for it. And uh, I I looked at those keyboard shortcuts and I suggested a change. Originally, it was control comma for head, control period for tail, and control slash for belly, like an interior truncation. But if you look at the orientation of those on the keyboard, it would make more sense for comma to be head, to keep it the same, period to be belly, because it's in the middle, and then slash to be tail because it's the end and it kind of looks like a slash and the comma kind of looks like a little little ear on the the head so like you see a little little cat in the bottom right of your keyboard so i mentioned that and he said he's going to switch them up so i'm making the design
0: community better brian (laughs) one keyboard shortcut suggestion at a time yeah. Well, <laughs> let's say Kev is making the community better, and you are making positive iterations on that. There you go. No, I dig it. And when you were describing the comma looks like a whisker, and the period, and then the slash looks like a tail, I was like, this is how they came up with constellations. It's like it's all just dots. But yeah, I guess if you really squint, you could see a cat with those yeah, three characters. <laughs> it's, it's a hunter with a belt, sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. We also got some follow-up last week from Friend of the Pod, Michael Kneprath, who had an alternative for Bartender, which was Marshall's cool thing. It's a Mac menu bar management application, and the alternative is called Vanilla. And it looks like it does more or less the same thing. It costs a few bucks, but it has a slightly different interface for management It has a different default icon which is just a dot or no no not a dot it's like a tiny, a chevron. tiny chev- chevron yeah so anyways that's a nice alternative so that's vanilla by matthew palmer and we'll have a link to that in the show notes
1: yeah i think it costs less too so if you're and th- maybe there's a free well that's the pro mode i think there's, oh, yeah, a, there's yeah. a free a free version yeah so free alternative to bartender vanilla thanks michael for the suggestion
0: i think that does it for follow-up do we have news no news this week uh, we do have listener questions, and we've got a few quick ones, and then we can dig into uh, our iOS 13 update. Cool. All right, I'll ask the first one, Marshall. I think this will be an easy one for you. Okay. Start with a softball, and then we'll work our way towards more <laughs> yeah, difficult ones.
1: Yeah, just lob this first one in and get, get me warmed up.
0: Okay, first one. Marshall and Brian, do designers ever make prototypes of entire apps, all states and all screens, with animations and transitions to all screens, or is the process more about chunking out main areas, and then building further flows and states as the product develops over time. I'm still trying to understand how a UI designer hands off and works with developers, as well as wrap my head around planning an entire app. Cheers. An entire app map. App map. Like a site map. Yeah. Yeah, good question. I want to say that when we say it's a softball, it doesn't mean the question's not good. It just means that we've... Face this question before and have a solution for it
1: there's an obvious answer that we have we can what's the term (laughs) wrote like we just uh rattle off this answer pretty easily yeah
0: but great question great question
1: yeah so maybe there are designers out there who are designing entire apps as prototypes in in a prototyping tool if that's the case more power to them but i think probably your best bet is to do if you're going to do a large chunk of an app that's probably going to be the domain of like a framer type thing or just build it in code just because it's most of the prototyping tools out there don't account for full custom transition and animations and stuff like that you're going to be wanting to use like a, a framer if you have a bunch of different screens that link together and but it gets so busy so quickly it gets hairy to manage all that yeah and typically what you want to do if if you're going to just do like a quick click through prototype and you have normal push pop, you know, screen transitions sliding left to right or popping up uh, bottom sheets from below, like you can use built in tools in sketch or Figma or, you know, some of the more easy to use prototyping tools that are out there. But uh, if you want to use a more hardcore thing like principle or framer, that's going to be for custom transitions and, and animations and and yeah, very like. Fiddly things that you want to, you know, control the timing of and and actually use as a testing ground, so that you know exactly what that motion is going to be when you hand it off to your developer. Yeah, and
0: I think additionally, like for most of my prototypes, I really try and make the prototype very, very small and contained. Golden path. Yeah, I rarely have like a master prototype that contains multiple feature ideas and multiple different interactions. It's like no, no, no. Take a screenshot of the entire app and that screenshot is the background and then overlay some shit on top to demo like one tiny thing yeah lots of bitmaps yeah yeah basically
1: like nothing on the screen should be tappable except for the the one flow you want them to go through
0: yeah which is much better for maintainability and speed of iteration the downside of that approach is that yeah if you hand the phone to a user during user research and they try and tap other things they won't work and then you have to do that awkward oh, uh, this is just a prototype. Some things are are not working, but just so you understand, like, this is... You do that at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: You do that at the beginning. You might tap on... It may look like everything works, but it doesn't all work. If you try to tap on something and it doesn't work, it's because it's a prototype. And what's cool is most prototyping tools have some sort of highlight function that when you tap on anything that isn't tappable it will highlight the things that are tappable yeah so it's kind of self-educating in that way but small golden path things you might have a bunch of different prototypes for all of the features of your app but yeah that's far more manageable than trying to put everything into one.
0: I would even say like, uh, so then you have also have maybe a slightly different answer depending on how that prototype will be used. So for example, if you're putting this in front of end users and they're going to be tapping on it, you might need to be a little bit more thought out. But if, if for example, the purpose of the prototype is to put it in a video for a presentation, you can also cheat and just stitch multiple videos together. Like don't overcomplicate the prototype logic. You can just stitch multiple tiny, tiny things together in a video editing tool, which is quite simple to do. There you go. So I found that useful as well when I'm doing presentation work. Cool. All right, third question comes from Manny. Manny from Vancouver. Manny asks, one thing I've been thinking about lately is what I want to be as a designer in the future. I enjoy doing both UX and UI, but at the same time, wondering if I should touch on some more graphic design or other stuff to have more skill sets under my belt in order to have a better job in the future or a better chance for promotion, even though I might not be that interested in them. I've seen lots of people having different skill sets and also some with very focused direction of work. What are your thoughts on developing skill sets versus having a single career path? Is it better to be focused on one thing or have multiple skills for a better chance at promotion? Jack of all trades or master of one? Marshall, what's your take? I'm curious about your take. You, you tell me, Brian. <laughs> oh, well, my answer is obvious. I love trying other things but the thing about your question Manny that stood out to me was you said even though I'm not interested in them and I th- think that should basically guide you like if you don't care about the thing it's probably not something that you want to be promoted for doing because then the responsibility to continue doing that thing at a higher level will only increase so that seems like a good way to burn out or, or just destroy any joy you have <laughs> in your day to day But if there are side things that you're interested in, my personal opinion is I I think the generalist route is a really, really powerful route. I think it's really valued today in the marketplace of jobs and careers. It offers a lot of flexibility to switch and dive deep on one thing without feeling like that is the thing that you have to do for the rest of your life. And I find that the generalist path for me affords a lot of flexibility if I ever want to do another startup. So like when we did Spectrum at the beginning, being able to build websites while also designing them was a superpower. And I think that is the thing that a lot of generalists seek is that ability to be self-sufficient or, or minimize the number of people that you need to collaborate with to start something new. So for that reason, I'm in favor of the generalist path and i would say as far as career progression my personal opinion and experience when in conversations with other people is that you can be successful doing both i've seen successful generalists and successful specialists so i would just pick you know the thing that you really enjoy doing and want to do for the next 10 20 years and then for me personally that that just happened to be the generalist path i think it's more interesting and, and provides a lot of flexibility.
1: Yeah, I'm in. I'm in kind of the same boat. I, I, have you heard the term T-shaped, Brian? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea of being uh, like a capital T. So you you have a wide swath of things that you are have shallow knowledge of, but like your familiarity with a, a wide number of things, but one thing or one area of things that you go really deep on. Right, capital T. T shaped, so uh, or maybe it's a couple things. So maybe you're uh, like pie shaped, a bold T, like the Latin, the Latin character pie. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah. So so I think that's yeah. That's kind of where I fall on this whole thing too. Is like you can kind of be a jack of all trades and a master of one. You know, in this way of like. Yeah, just shallow knowledge of a lot of things where you can be dangerous in a conversation, but but one or two things that you do just really well that you can be counted on to be the expert of.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the T-shape, I don't know where that came from, but I, I think that's a pretty useful way to think about it. And that's I think what a lot of generalists aspire towards anyways is you, you need to have some deep knowledge in something that's usually to get, you know, the job because a lot of job listings today are, are more specific. But then having that like wide range of shallow knowledge makes it easier to collaborate with other people, and broadens your scope of being able to like be creative about different domains and bringing them together into new product ideas or, or solving problems in different ways than than a specialist might be able to.
1: Right. Yeah. Maybe you don't know how to write code, but it's good for you to know what a UI view controller is, right?
0: Yeah, even just, yeah, just knowing the the terminology, being able to speak to engineers, that seems useful, so. Exactly. But I would just circle back to if you're not interested in it, don't do it, because if you're not interested in it and you get promoted for it, that's a dark place. Yeah, follow your heart. Follow your (laughs) interests. Follow your dreams and anything can come true. Uh Isn't that what they say, Brian? That's what I was raised to believe. That's what Ashley O says in the season five, episode three of Black Mirror. Did you watch that one? Wow. Like that Miley Cyrus alternate identity Uh thing? Uh Uh-huh. Really? Okay. (laughs) You can achieve anything that you set your mind to. All right. Last listener question is actually related. So this is kind of a nice building block. This listener asks, I'd like to know how do you get intentional about your growth as a designer and how are you measuring that growth? Boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. Small question, big answer. Oh, man. Maybe?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough answer, right? And it's probably different for every person. Hashtag it depends, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I guess the short story for me would be I find that I have grown looking back. You can never really tell you're growing at the time. It just feels like you're fucking stressed out. But usually I find that I have grown when I look back at times when I was very uncomfortable, when I made myself do something that I didn't want to do or I was put into a, a, a situation that I'd never been in before, you know, something that made me uncomfortable outside my wheelhouse and then I
0: look back on it, and I'm like, "Oh, that actually wasn't so bad after all." And now I know how to do that thing. So, does that mean that you are actively seeking those opportunities, or those things are just happening to you?
1: Bit of both. Bit of both. I do seek out some of them. Some of them are I'm forced into. Some of them happen serendipitously. I see. You know, it's a it's a mix. Almost every time I have to like do a group participation thing, I hate it. <laughs> and yeah. and after it's over, I'm like, "Oh yeah, that was really fun. Why did I? <laughs> why, did, why was I scared of this?" Right. Yeah. Happens almost every time. Sometimes it's stupid, but almost every time I'm like, yeah, that was really useful and I'm glad I did it. Which is one of those uncomfortable things. Going out into the unknown and and trying to conquer
0: something that scares you is usually a great way to grow. What about, I've noticed over the years that I've known you, you also do a lot of unsolicited redesigns and you're always tinkering on side projects. Uh, is that something that you think about as growing as a designer or or part of like your career trajectory? Or is that just purely fun?
1: I don't think it's just fun. It is fun, but it's also, I think it's more just like practice for me, right? Like, because I'm kind of, in a bubble of design of the things I can do at my day job, right? So it's it's fun to design in other styles using other systems when I'm not at my day job. Sure, if that's you know straight up iOS system stuff that's new. Uh, speaking of which, we're going to get into iOS 13 soon. Um, or maybe it's it's like doing something completely custom and totally new, just like stretching my wings, you know?
0: Okay. Do you have any thoughts on measuring your growth? That's the second half of this question. How about you answer that half, Brian? (laughs) Well, that half, I I don't. I don't want to take the cop-out answer and just say the same thing as you, but I, I would just also echo that the times where I've been most uncomfortable or felt like I was most likely to fail, in retrospect, those were the times that I grew the most. I think for me, my general approach as I'm going Day to day at my day job is if each day I'm doing the best work that I can possibly do in that moment, the rest will sort of take care of itself. The rest being, you know, learning, improving hard skills, but then some of the broader things like promotions and increased responsibility and scope. Like if I'm able to execute the best of my ability at a specific level, that will just naturally shift up, I think. That might also depend on on the organization. And anyways, there's probably lots of factors there. But the point being, I don't... Are you saying it depends, Brian? It depends, but I'm saying I'm not actually too intentional about growth in the long term. I I really think like, all right, what am I going to do this week to make sure that this week's feature or or prototype is going to be the best that it can possibly be? And I do that just week (laughs) over week, I guess. So yeah, maybe not a super satisfying answer, but I don't think it's that intentional. I think if I'm thinking about like macro growth, I do have some thoughts on this actually for for myself. This is, I guess, a little bit more personal. But I think for, for me right now, the way I'm thinking about my growth as a designer in terms of career is I really like staying in the IC role. I really like being an individual contributor. I like doing pixels and, and shipping features and doing user research. I think all that is really fun. So I don't want to lose that. But at the same time, I recognize that I realize it's possible to get stunted in your growth. Like a, a lot of people will switch over to the, the manager track to continue growing in their scope or responsibility. So for me, the the trajectory that I would really like to head is being a very good IC with mentorship a mentorship component to my day-to-day job. Like I don't want the people management, but I like the people mentorship side. Mm-hmm. I think that's really fun. It's about the design, it's about the hard skills. And so that's that's where I'm going or at least the direction I'm skating right now and I'm trying to be pretty intentional about that. And what that means is at work if I get opportunities to work with a younger designer, or if I am able to get interns, which I think would be super fun at GitHub, like working on that kind of stuff would be really rewarding
1: yeah that's that's great I think there are, certainly like you said i think there there are concrete things you can measure, right like do you have people reporting to you more than you had before, or you know are, are you getting paid more right that's probably a little bit of growth, but yeah the the things that are a little bit more touchy-feely of, of how you grow it's a little bit harder to track yeah but you can do you can do concrete things like you said with mentorship and you know taking on more responsibility in that kind of way big fan of those types of things hopefully that helped yeah hopefully <laughs>
0: this is our hardest question this week <laughs> it's a hard question i think it's also probably pretty personal to each person but yeah hopefully that helped dear listener
1: yeah just go go feel uncomfortable and you'll probably grow yeah and you'll be less scared of things that you were once scared of Okay, Brian, I've we've been waiting for it this whole time. Finally, it's time. We've got a
0: week under our belts. Let's talk about it.
1: Okay, iOS 13, the review, design details, colon, the review.
0: Beta 4 <laughs> review of the things we've used so far. <laughs> Good title. All right. Uh, Marshall, hit me with your first impressions. iOS 13, beta 4, we've been running it for a week. Uh, we mentioned we are going to do a follow-up this week about things that we like, things that are new and and people should be excited about and then maybe some nits
1: uh yeah we hopefully we can organize our thoughts relatively well but yeah i mean tldr here is it's the same but better
0: yep this feels like a it's like a leopard to snow leopard kind of improvement mm. but those were almost my favorite updates because it was all about performance and refining gestures and taking the things that you do every day and making them a little bit faster or, or small tweaks the design to make it easier or more intuitive. And it feels like just a lot of that across the board. Like when I look at the iOS 13 landing page on Apple, it's like not anything huge in my opinion, but the small things add up.
1: Well, you're referring to the, the TikTok release pattern of like yes. tick being a big release, Tik being a small performance update but this is supposed to be a tick brian 13 is a tick uh it feels like a talk for me i why do you think it's a tick just because of dark mode well that's what they've said it was like when 11 came out they're like this is a tick and when 12 came out they're like we needed to make it because we've o- we've only been doing doing ticks so far so we need to make a talk with 12 but but all the stuff that we were going to have in 12 is coming in 13 that's going to be the real tick <laughs> Well, it
0: feels like a talk to me, so maybe marshall let 's <laughs> let 's just start diving into some of the new things, and we 'll maybe we can determine at the end if this is actually a tick all right, Marshall so I think it would be helpful if we broke this into three chunks just since there 's a lot to talk about so let 's start with operating system level changes to visuals and interactions and gestures and things of that sort, and then we can go on to app updates and some of the changes in the the first party apps that we like and are interesting. And then last, we could talk about just quality of life improvements, which might be a mix of both of those things, but might be uh, skewed towards like smaller features that we found that, that are really interesting or fun or useful. Cool. All right, so let's get started with OS level system wide changes, Marshall. The first one is perhaps the most obvious just because this is what everybody was talking about and it's the main focus of the marketing page for iOS 13 and that is dark mode.
1: Dark mode, Brian. Finally.
0: Is this, is this a game changer for you?
1: <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. I mean, it's in a weird state now because it's only like the system apps that have it and do it well. But, oh boy, I can I can imagine a world in which this works for every app and it does it the right way. And it's so good.
0: What's your favorite part about it? Like, why is this such a good change for you?
1: I do a lot of like dark room phone browsing and it's nice to have a dark screen for that especially with the OLED on and the, an the iPhone 10 plus and so on you know yeah it's just a really nice thing plus with the dynamic wallpapers it makes everything just feel really cohesive and it feels like everything is working in tandem and it knows my environment
0: which is a good thing yeah i i think i agree i've i assume you have the dynamic mode on where it turns on dark mode at sunset yeah, Sunrise, Sunset, yep. Yeah, it's nice. I think so far the first-party implementations have been good. I am not super hyped on dark modes in general, but I think that the execution is fine for the most part. It's a really complicated system, and it has to be
1: because of iPad and windowing and all that.
0: <laughs> yeah, the thing that I am a little bit wary of as like having to design for this kind of stuff is it just adds a little bit of complexity and like multiplies the matrix of things that you might need to account for. And there's a lot of things that Apple will take care of for free, which is really nice. Like they have a lot of the system colors will have dark mode Mm -hmm. variants by default. If you use system level components, it handles the dark mode, you know, colors, but, and, and type changes. I'm just wondering from a design perspective, are you going to start doing all of your mocks with a light and dark mode? Or will a lot of the th- those things just be inferred to engineers by like, you know, this this should have both, but I don't feel like I need to do a mock for both.
1: What, what I think would be more valuable if I were to spend my time on this, it would be to create a system in which, and potentially a probably a plugin, that I can basically click a button and it will intelligently switch all of my light symbols to dark symbols. You know what I mean? (laughs) That would
0: be nice, yeah.
1: On the fly. (laughs) Uh My sticker sheet and everything is built out so well and, and named appropriately and everything so that with the click of a button, it can just run through and go, Uh, This is a light version. Okay, use a dark version through every single component on the screen.
0: Have you started setting something up like
1: that? No, but I've started thinking about it. And that's the first step, Brian. So stop (laughs) shaming me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work to think through how that would be constructed in a maintainable way. But I guess it would be possible it's just frustrating that it does add to this matrix of things that you have to account for.
1: Yeah, I, I will probably still continue designing in one mode or the other. Probably light mode. The thing I'm interested to see is how quickly developers update to it, right? And and yeah. account for it because, well, there's a lot of things that we're going to see get fixed immediately, right? So, for example, in the today view, a platter that hasn't whose app hasn't updated to iOS 13 or, or submitted a build on iOS 13, those don't respect light and dark mode. It always uses the light mode platter, even in dark mode, which is not the most uh, beautiful thing to look at when they're intermixed like that. And when you got like every other or some, you know, all the system ones are are, are following the mode, but others don't. So that stuff will get fixed, but, you know, for example, I, I do a lot of New York Times crossword puzzle stuff. Are they going to release a dark mode? My guess is not, so I'll, be, I'll still be staring at a, a bright white screen in the, in the middle of the night, you know? <laughs> just don't do the crossword puzzle in the middle of the night. There's your answer. Why don't you just tell me not to be human, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. So, so that's dark mode. It's good. It's it's not everywhere yet, but hopefully, and it'll be interesting to see how long it takes, but hopefully it will it will propagate to all of the things you use yeah. soon.
0: All right. Next thing I'm a huge fan of is the new share sheet. Yeah. Why are you a fan of it, Brian? All right. So the new share sheet does a couple things really well that I like. So the first is it has introduced a row of avatars of people that it thinks you're most likely to talk to. I think it's based on recency of conversation, perhaps. hmm and it shows a little iMessage icon on top of their name. But then if you have AirDrop-enabled devices around, you will see the avatars for those devices. The avatar would equate to the Apple ID avatar for that device with a little AirDrop icon. So for example, I have a share sheet open from Safari right now, and I see a list of people that I could send a link to, but then to the far left is my MacBook Pro with a photo of me and the little AirDrop icon. It's just a nice experience there. Uh, they've added some cool things with different kinds of things that can be shared. So, for example, sharing a a website from Safari, you can send it as a link, or you can send it as a PDF, or as an archive. I don't even know what an archive is, but you could actually send a PDF <laughs> of a web page to somebody from the share sheet, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Additionally, they've moved to have a list of actions that you can do. So, like it used to be that there would be a, a horizontally scrolling roll of app icons that would have a label that indicated an action that you could perform. Well, they've switched that. So now there's a list of actions that you can perform and apps can choose the the icon that will appear on the right side of that action button. So you end up with a list of things uh, vertically instead of like a horizontal list of, of app icons, or which action icons. is hard to scroll to accurately. It's You usually forget what's hidden. So you get a lot more density of actions that you can do from within the share sheet. Uh, So those seem like the big improvements for me and like visually it is nice. There's some interesting visual changes that are more broadly happening across iOS, like inset lists of things. Does that make sense? Like the list of actions on the share sheet are inset from the left and right edges. It's like, it's more like a series of buttons less than a list of table cells.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a pattern that we've seen elsewhere too, of like grouped sections in a list are inset from the edges and kind of like little floating cards instead of full width blocks. if that make sense? Right. But in, in this case, like every button is its own section. So it gets a, you know, there's space between and each one has its own card.
0: Which is worse for action density. I wonder if, I, I just wonder why it's not a like traditional table cell grouping.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I assume there was a reason for it, but this could very well just be, uh, you know, a list with dividers separating it. I'm fine if it's still, you know, all one card of things, maybe with the manage, you know, the the ability to edit what's in this list, separate it off as a separate section. But yeah, I don't know why they're all separate. So that's the share sheet. Marshall, context menus. Contextual menus. Yeah, yeah. So we're all familiar with contextual menus on Mac, right? Or on, on PC in general of you right click and a little menu pops up and you can copy and paste and all that kind of thing. Now this has become more common on iOS and on iPadOS. So instead of having... The other type of, I think it was like the peak and and pop. Yeah, peak and pop. With With 3D touch. 3D touch, right? This is now like, I think they're calling it haptic touch, which is basically a long press and it gives you a little haptic buzz on your thumb and you can choose from a list of things that pop up. So if you're haptic touching on a link, it will show you a preview of the link with with a contextual menu with some options you can do to that. But before this used to be full width options, kind of more like what the share sheet does. in a a blurry overlay, but now it kind of makes them smaller and sets them off to the side, which gives you a bigger tap off target and also follows what
0: they're doing on the home
1: screen with haptic
0: touching on app icons. Yeah, well, speaking of the the app icon long press, there's also now every single app icon long press has a new action item on that context menu called rearrange apps. (laughs) I think that's so interesting. Which is jiggle mode. Right? Yeah, like this has to have been informed by some data that people were confused of how to rearrange
1: their apps, right? Well, they've confused it even more because now there's like, well, yeah, okay. So before it was confusing because if you press too hard, then you ended up in, in the contextual menu for the 3D touch press. But if you didn't press very hard, then you would eventually end up in jiggle mode. The The writing on the wall is they're going to get rid of 3D touch entirely and haptic touch is going to be the only thing. So long press is the thing, which means how do you get into jiggle mode? Well, you have to go through the the formerly 3D touch contextual menu first before you get into jiggle mode. And my guess is that they people won't know to hold long enough to get into jiggle. It's a really weird process to go through to to get into editing mode. So yeah,
0: this has always been clunky. Yeah, the one thing that I will say you can do is so if you long press on an app icon or or a folder of icons. It opens the context menu, but then if you just continue dragging, there's just a really high threshold. But if you continue dragging, it'll put you into the rearrange mode right away.
1: Yeah, everything in these menus is much smaller. The cells are much smaller,
0: shorter in height. Higher density, which is nice. I think that there's an opportunity to put more more dense actions and context menus. I was looking specifically at like the pocket casts one is really nice and that it actually shows you a queue of things that are coming up next. Um so certain apps are doing a really good job of this uh like things has a nice preview of your actual to-do list.
1: Yeah, this is these are basically the today widgets that yeah. are now showing up in your home screen. But but this is this has existed
0: before. Yeah, yeah, but increasing the density there is, is going to be helpful. Yeah, yeah, totally. Cool. Modal sheets. So yeah, talk to me about the modal pattern is now it's basically first party. This used to be a hack like everybody would have these Yeah modal views where the the interaction was a modal would come up and the view behind it would get pushed back in z space and you could just peek the top of it like eight dips of it sort of behind the new modal and this is now a first party experience.
1: Yeah, basically then the now playing sheet in, in Apple Music, right? Or if you use Instagram and you ever tapped on the ad, I think those did a similar thing. And the way those work is you can swipe down anywhere on the sheet and it'll pull it down, right? And if you're if you're scrolled down into into the sheet, if it if it has any height to it whatsoever, then when you scroll back up and pull down, it won't dismiss the sheet until you get all the way back up to the top, and then any subsequent pulls down will will dismiss the sheet, which means you don't have to press the cancel button in the top left corner or the done button in the top right corner right which is a huge reach. The cool thing too is if you can only cancel right if you haven't made any changes in the sheet that would need to be saved, pulling down will cancel automatically but if you 've made changes and you try to dismiss it by pulling it down, it will ask you to it will be the same thing as if you press the cancel button and it'll ask you to discard changes or Maybe it'll just not do anything. It'll, it'll rubber band faster and stop you from pulling it down. It's an interesting new pattern, and it accounts. This is kind of a larger push across all, all mobile devices to account for one-handed usage. And as phones get bigger, it gets really hard to reach up into the top. So this is a new gesture that accounts for dismissing a sheet with one hand.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing I'd call it here is that in all of these modals, they also removed the little handle UI that used to be at the top. The only handle I've seen in iOS 13 is on maps on that little sheet, which is weird. It seems like they could get rid of it because that sheet shares the same behavior as the other modals. Like you can scroll up from anywhere, you can swipe it away from anywhere. So that handle's going away.
1: They also use it in the um, the kind of little messages apps at the bottom. So like photos or app store or Memoji, Those those have a handle at the top.
0: Yeah, that's odd. I wonder if that's intentional, like if there's, if there's a rule around when you should include a handle or not, or if it's just an inconsistency with implementation.
1: It seems like if your sheet has more than just an all the way up or all the way out state, if it has a middle state, which Maps does, and Now Playing does, and this Messages, you know, Keyboard Apps thing does as well, like maybe that's the reason for the handle. So a full sheet that is either like a a push modal, right, is either all the way on or all the way off. Right. And maybe that doesn't get a handle. Okay. I don't know. But that's, that's a good thing. I didn't notice that there was a difference, but maybe that's the pattern. Who knows? They'll update the HIG and then we'll all find out. Okay,
0: so moving on. Okay, so those are just a few of the OS level changes that we've noticed, but a bunch of the first party apps have been updated. So let's hit a couple of the highlights there.
1: Yeah, lightning round. All right, here we go. So messages. Uh, you can change your avatar and your name in messages and share it with everybody, which means you can do a cool Memoji with the background color and uh, let everybody update their avatar for you so that you're not just a gray circle with two letters in
0: their chat feed. Yeah. I am very excited for that feature. It was always so hacky to get contact photos onto iOS devices. So hopefully people will use this and it will always be updated with what the other person wants you to have as their profile photo.
1: Mm -hmm. What else is new in Messages? There's a uh, search. Search is so much more powerful now.
0: So yeah, they did two big things with search, but one of them's like kind of search. So the first thing is they added a global messages search, which is a search. When tapped, it opens a new interface on the messages app where you can see a list of people that you could quickly message, but also shows you links that have recently been shared photos that have recently been shared locations and attachments that have recently been shared across all of your, your contacts. And as you type, you get those same, you get like nice inline highlighting with all of those same sections. Like if I search for the letter H, like it highlights the letter H that comes up in conversations and contacts across my shared links and photos it's fantastic
1: so good links i've been i've been crying for this for years like save my links i love that you like messages has done this with photos for a long time and most apps do this with photos but do it for my links yeah do it for like dates do it for everything please it's hard to find that shit. Luckily, search will handle most of those things, but but the, the links is is great. Any attachment that I add to to into a, a conversation should be saved.
0: And so that's the second part of this little search update is it's not search exactly, but in the details view of a, an individual conversation, when you open that modal, you now see shared links for an individual conversation as well as that global shared links. Exactly. Super useful.
1: Moving on to maps. Maps. Okay, so the main thing changed here. Well, they they have Street View, which is really cool. Oh, sorry, not Street View. Look around, whatever. Uh, Same thing, which is really nice. I haven't used it a ton, and I don't think it's a ton of places yet. But if you're in a major city, you can check it out. The cool thing that I found is that the new bottom half sheet that we were talking about earlier has kind of a new IA, a new information architecture to it. And one of the things they do is they promote uh, most recent Places or most like favorite places, um, which includes like your home and work. So, if you navigate to work by a couple different routes, depending on traffic for the day, like I do, this is super useful to really quickly get into tap work or tap home. But it also keeps your your favorite and uh, most recent locations, which is super great. You don't have to dig into a menu to get those things, just like the share sheet, recent conversations, right? You have the head row, the avatar row at the top same thing here and it's very very useful i've, I've found
0: uh, a lot of utility out of it great all right photos i love the new photos update one of the things that i love the most is just the transitions between the new segmented control like sub views of photos so now it's split up into years months days and all photos mm-hmm. and as you switch between those filters the transitions and animations are Really phenomenal. Specifically, switching between days and all photos, that transition is fantastic. So when you're looking at days, the days list, it will create sort of a a mosaic of all of your photos, but the ones that it thinks are more interesting will be larger and it'll autoplay live photos in line and autoplay videos in line. But when you switch over to the all photos tab, you can see what you were looking at, minimize and shrink back into this master grid of all of your photos. The transition is, is just really amazing and, and it's a really nice experience there. I also like the, the new years, the years update where you can scroll back in time through each year and it will be according to, it will be relative to right now, right? So my years, it shows me what I was doing in 2018 in the summer, then 2017 in the summer, on and on. And I think in the the demo, they showed why this would be really cool on birthdays and on anniversaries and things like that. So, And the other cool thing is on those years cover photos, like this year's thing, you can actually press and scrub sideways to scrub through the highlights of each month. So it's a quick way to just get an overview of like, oh, yeah, these are all the highlights from that year with just a quick drag. It's really nice.
1: It's all pictures of my dog, Brian. It's all pictures (laughs) of my dog. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Okay, cool. So that's that's. Photos. Let's talk about music real quick. So I switched back over to Apple Music from from Spotify specifically for this update for iOS 13 because they were going to change some things. The now play it's mostly the same except the now playing view has been redesigned and it's a hundred times better. And I could go into the details of that, but we don't have the time. General thoughts being they've paginated it or they've like kind of turned a toolbar slash tab bar at the bottom into the new interface instead of having like a hidden scroll view that that no one could find right and they've surfaced a lot of controls that were previously unavailable and added lyrics which takes me to my next point of on apple tv uh the lyrics mode is outstanding it's it's basically like a karaoke mode on your tv while you're listening to music so and it has like time notations so if you want to skip through the song you can skip to a specific lyric by the by the time it's it's really good i don't know how to describe it better but yeah if you use apple tv and you have apple music and you're just listening to music it's a really nice experience all right next up we have safari yeah this is weird so safari's done some some cool things for quality of life that we'll talk about here in a second but one of the things they changed due to dark mode is is private mode so there's going to be a lot of like mode talk here so try to keep up but in previous versions of ios Private mode was always dark mode, essentially. It changed all the light elements to dark elements. Now when you have dark mode at an OS level, how do you differentiate between private mode and non-private mode? The way that you do that in light mode is that in private mode in light mode, the location bar is uses a dark blur instead of a light blur. The problem, though, is that in dark mode, when you go to the private view, that <laughs> location bar is not inverted, And it looks the same as non-private mode. So I'm not sure if they'll update that. But at the moment, there's no way to tell the difference between private mode and non-private mode unless you're in an an empty tab and it has a big banner at the top that says, you're in private mode right now. Yeah. But yeah, that's an interesting side effect of going to dark is like, uh, how do you account for some of these uh, uses of dark mode that no longer have the same meaning now?
0: Yeah, these are just the consequences of dark mode having like, where dark patterns used to indicate something in the UI, it can no longer do that. So, where they're going to have to fall back to text or iconography or something, they're going to have to do something because it's pretty confusing. Color, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would expect them to just invert the location bar, regardless of what mode you're in. Anyways,
0: yeah. So, that's Safari. Uh, how about we talk about the App Store? There's just a couple interesting little changes here. Uh, so, the first one is that they've moved, there's no longer an updates tab. So, the that fourth tab in the app store has now been replaced by arcade which is coming this fall so there's nothing really there right now and what they've done is they've moved in all of the headers of each view they show your avatar for your apple id and when you tap that you get a new account modal and there's a couple cool things here so the first is that there's an easy easy way to find all the things that you're subscribed to with easy ways to cancel those subscriptions this used to be a gigantic pain in the ass now it's not but the second thing is they put app updates there. So it's a little bit weird. Like it's not an intuitive place that you would expect to find it, but they badge your profile photo so that you're, you see the red dot and you're like, okay, I'll tap that. And then you can trace that red red badge to, okay, there's apps to be updated.
1: Yeah. My guess is that they don't want people checking app updates they just want you to turn on automatically update apps and and never think about it and everything is just up to date all the time and and you go about your day. But for those of us who want to read the notes, I think they probably realize that like ninety nine percent of app updates are bug fixes and performance improvements. That's like the that's the helper text along with the with the upload. So. In order to keep people from thinking that's super important, which it isn't, ninety nine percent of the time, they just hit it behind your behind your photo, and everything should just work, Brian. It should just work. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's a compelling software story to just know that everything is always up to date. But for someone like me who used to always go into the app store and like manually update things or like pull to refresh the updates, it's just a little bit of a weird change. Uh, one thing I'll call out here is this. Also, this is the only modal I found that implements a pull to refresh within the modal. Which breaks the ability to swipe the modal away from anywhere in the body. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's something you have to sacrifice if you have a modal. Sorry, no pull to refresh. Yeah, put a uh, put a little refresh button in the top right or something.
0: Yeah. All right, Marshall. You also got the Apple Watch Six beta. Any anything interesting from there?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a few cool things. So it's mostly the same. There's there's a new face called Modular Compact that has actually become my go to face during the day. It's basically a big circle clock which I've set to digital, but you can also make analog. It has seconds counting around the outside, which is kind of a nice uh, add some motion to the watch when you're when you're looking at the face. And you have two small complications and one large complication. So um, I use the large one as my calendar. Uh, so I can see what, what meetings are coming up. I have activity there. I have the date. And so it's like a really stripped down version of the watch. But everything that I need to to see at work is right there. I've been using that a lot. Uh, there's a new remote app on the watch. It moves some buttons around and changes some things. It's only accessible if you get at it through the new Now Playing app, which instead of being kind of an ephemeral thing is now a, an, official, it's an official thing. It's a separate app with its own icon on the home screen. But if you go to the remote app, it still has the old legacy setup of, of the button arrangement, which is interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing how that evolves because I feel like the new one isn't necessarily an upgrade. I could talk more about that, but we don't have the time, Brian, moving on. <laughs>
0: There's no time.
1: The last thing is that on the home screen, instead of that that honeycomb setup that is kind of iconic of the Apple Watch home screen, uh, you can also choose a list view, which before was not as nice looking. It was is more flat with small items. This new one kind of puts a, a scaling curve on it so that the, the app in the middle of the screen is bigger and they fall off above and below and it's just easier to tap, easier to see the icons next to each of the names and, and it's a it's a nice way to navigate your apps.
0: All right, let's go through just the last section here. There's a few nice quality of, of life improvements. These have actually been been great. So do you want to start with yours? Oh yeah. Okay. So the thing another thing I've been uh, whinging
1: about for a long time is in control center being able to long press the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth buttons to to get into a control center platter for those things without having to dive deep into settings and go into each of their respective list items so now you can just get out the stuff just as easy as you can change what your audio output is now you can change your bluetooth and wi-fi settings and it's glorious brian (laughs) <laughs> true glory <laughs> it must have been really hard for them to do because it took forever and it was such a needed thing so i'm I'm just glad it's here now
0: yeah for the power users like you mm-hmm. uh, another cool feature that they added in control center i guess this is just more broadly like bluetooth and audio out is you can actually now pair to two airpods at once which is great mm-hmm. my significant other and i were taking a flight and we wanted to share audio pre-iOS 13 and there was no way to do that and now there is so Quality of life.
1: I wonder how many young relationships will be started on school buses because of this
0: feature. Uh, did you do that growing up? Like, yeah, yeah. School bus share a headphone. I take left, you take right. Yeah. It was one of the most intimate moments ever. Oh, mm-hmm. oh boy, so many. Maybe
1: this is bad though, because you can like keep your distance. That like forced you to be close to one another because they only sp- you know, the earphones only spread so far because of the wire.
0: It's okay. I think the shared music listening experience trumps the foot or two of difference.
1: Okay, so what else is cool? Brian, you, have you been using the the auto block numbers feature?
0: Yeah. So, a couple things in settings that you should enable right away. So the the first one is the auto block unknown numbers that call, which is great like fewer robo calls. I it's hard to know the impact of it except to say like I guess maybe I, I haven't been getting as many, but I was getting robocalls calls all the time. We all do. Yeah, we all do. So if, if it's blocking any of them that's a win. Is
1: there a, I have a question because I haven't
0: used this yet. Is there like a temporary
1: turn this off thing? Like if I'm expecting a delivery, you know, like if I order food or something and they're going to have to call, you know what I mean? Do Can you turn it off for an hour? No. Because I would, I would want to snooze it. You know what I mean? Because there's sometimes that, like somebody who I don't have my contacts is going to call me like an Uber or something like that. Right.
0: Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. you know, The second setting, which is a Safari specific setting is you can auto close old tabs so if you're like me you used to just always have be opening new tabs throughout the day like every time you open safari new tab new tab new tab and at the end of the week you'd just have hundreds of tabs that's
1: how i open safari usually is i do the i do the 3d touch and then new New tab tab, yeah right
0: well now there's a way to just it will just automatically close out old tabs which is not a big deal like this doesn't impact anybody's life but it's a quality of life thing where oh you don't have all this craft hanging out whenever you do go to tab switch like it means that when you tab switch, you will only see more recent and relevant things, which
1: is great. Yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah. I would have to go through and manually clean up all of my old tabs. What else is cool? Oh, boy. The screenshots, Brian. Screenshots got so much better. So half of my photo library is my dog. The other half is screenshots. <laughs> yep.
0: Documenting the all same. the apps you see.
1: And this makes things far better. So... There's a couple cool things right off the top. So on iPad, you can just use the pencil to drag up from the bottom corner and that will take you into like markup mode of the screenshot. And it's so useful just to like send off a screenshot. You don't have to like hit any buttons because I'm always like, is it the volume up or volume down? And then I end up locking my device. It sucks. This is much better. Just go up from the corner. But uh, once you're in there, in markup, I don't know if this is new or old. I think it's new. I'm pretty sure this is new.
0: But there's a ruler now, Brian. There's a ruler. The ruler is buck wild, too. Like, somebody spent a lot of time and energy making this ruler so that you could annotate a straight line on top of a screenshot.
1: Yeah, so you can use this uh, ruler to draw straight lines. Who would have thought? There's also a full page capture option. So when you screenshot a... A Safari web page, instead of having to do a bunch of screenshots as you scroll down and then use some app to stitch them all together, it will just give the option of of a screenshotting the entire page. And then you can mark it up from there. It's it's so good. It's
0: one of these things like, oh, why
1: didn't this always exist? This is perfect.
0: So here here's one thing that I would call out there. So when when you do take a screenshot and you switch to the full page mode, on the right edge of your device, there's like a little Scrubber, and you can scrub to a specific part of the page that you want to screenshot. Yeah, like with a PDF, you get the preview on the right. You see the
1: window that you are currently are viewing.
0: Right, right. And then you can just annotate from there and, and, and crop it out. And uh, you see like the annotation previews in line. It's just fantastic. So full-sized web page screenshots are here.
1: All right, I think that's the end of the list. That's it. We made it through. That's a lot of iOS 13. <laughs> That's a lot of things. We had to go quick because
0: this could have been like a two-hour episode. And... So yeah, my my conclusion sentence is: there are lots and lots of good quality of life improvements for me. It's still a tick cycle or a talk cycle but perhaps it's just the volume and and culmination of all these things that make it makes it a tick in apple's eyes dark mode is is a talk feature for me but i mean aside from
1: like i don't know what else they could do to have a real tick nowadays right like the os is becoming so much more mature and all of these things that we've been asking for for a long time that were really low down on the list but still needed like those things are happening now dark mode And the other things I said I was crying about, you know, like those things are happening now because they have time for them because they've kind of done all the big stuff. Right. So I have a feeling
0: that ticks are going to become less ticky moving forward. Yeah, maybe so. And that's probably fine. Like if they keep doing yearly iterations of these with this many quality of life improvements and actually bringing a lot of improvement to first party apps that reduce the need to go third party and improve cohesiveness within the ecosystem. I'm all about it. Here's something I was thinking about, Brian, we're about as far from the
1: beginning of flat design as skeuomorphic design existed for, right? Like we're on 13 now, flat design happened in seven. Yeah. Like we're, I mean, if, if the pattern of, you know, the, the cadence of full on redesigns, it, it holds true. Like earthquakes. (laughs) We're due for a new one.
0: (laughs) The next version. Yeah, we're due for
1: a super quake here. And yeah, I'm wondering, like, is flat going away anytime soon? Like they haven't done a full philosophical rethink of iOS since the flat redesign. There's been, you know, fine tuning and they've, you know, they've added or or kind of re... Uh, faced elements like the segmented controller in ios 13 is is new and better i think but it's it's that's all little stuff they haven't done a full philosophical rethink but
0: i i think that though that point and then also the the modals being a first-party solution that sh- represents app views in a 3d space those feel like iterations on that philosophy like okay we went way too far with segmented controls and buttons being being one way. And now they're going back and introducing like, oh, things have a border. Oh, there's a drop shadow to indicate that it is like movable in space, like within this container. Or a modal view pushes views into the background to indicate like Z index. So those yeah. things feel like iterations on the philosophy. And I'd be fine totally. with iterations there instead of overhauls just because yeah, the system's so mature and it's probably really thrashy for every million iOS developers out there to like <laughs> conform to a new new philosophy rather than just be like, "Oh, these small things changed each year."
1: Also, I think there hasn't been a shift in like the kind of the design community. Like the design community had shifted to flat before iOS did, right? Like we had all kind of moved over from skeuomorphic and when iOS 7 dropped, like nobody was super surprised that, that Apple went flat, right? But there is no n- new thing that isn't flat and isn't skeuomorphic, right? Just gradients
0: and super rounded corners. Yeah. Let's let's end this episode, Brian. Do you want to do cool things? Let's do it. I'll do mine real quick, just since the episode is getting a little long. So mine is an author on Quora. This is a first. So there's an author on Quora who has written a few articles recently that have just been so fascinating. They've been sort of trending on in, in tech circles. I've seen them on Twitter. And let me just read a, the title of three of these questions. And then all I can say is this person's answers are so incredibly in-depth with photos and data and, and political insight and geographic insight. It's really interesting to learn about China. So here are the three questions that I've I've read this person's answers to, and they're fantastic. So the first one. How is China able to provide enough food to feed a population of over 1 billion people? Great question. Why has China developed so much faster than India? And then the last one, which was, I think, my first introduction to this author, was if China has so much money to invest in other countries, why don't they develop the poor parts of China? And uh, spoiler alert, they do invest in the poor parts of China and the ways in which they're doing that art seriously fascinating. China's a a fascinating place and this person's insights are are really useful. So if you're interested in China, uh, definitely click the links in the show notes to this person's uh, profile on Quora.
1: Nice. Yeah, that's a first. Cool though. All right. How about you? Okay. So my cool thing this week is actually going to be two cool things. One that leads into another. So Have you heard of Masterclass, Brian? No. Masterclass is this service. It's a video education service where they get big name people who are experts in their fields and they basically teach a course on how to do what they do so well. So you have Martin Scorsese teaching directing and you have Aaron Sorkin teaching screenwriting and you have... People teaching photography and cooking, Gordon Ramsay teaching, you know, Stephen Curry teaching how to play basketball. It's really interesting. And I jumped on that bandwagon super early, and I think I got grandfathered into some thing where I only pay like ninety dollars a year, and I have access to all of the masterclass courses. Wow. yeah, I'm not sure if that's still available, and it's it's a little expensive. It's one eighty a year right now. So as I've mentioned before, I'm in the middle of writing a screenplay. So I've been devouring lots of writing knowledge from from people who are experts at writing not just in screenplays but also in novels. So for example, I have watched the Aaron Sorkin masterclass. Obviously, he is a interesting person to listen to talk. But I've also watched the one with James Patterson, who's a, a famous novelist, and Margaret Atwood. She, she wrote The uh, Handmaid's Tale, if you're familiar with that. There's one for, from Judy Bloom, one from Malcolm Gladwell. These are all really interesting, but the, but the ones I found most interesting are the, like, Neil Gaiman, R.L. the pe- people who write uh, fiction. Dan Brown's was really interesting. But they also have one from David Baldacci, who I had heard of before, but I, I wasn't super familiar with his work. So in his course, he mentions, for examples, uh, some of the books he's written, little little excerpts. And he read an excerpt from a book and and described a protagonist in in a series called Amos Decker. And the first book in that series is called Memory Man. And I started reading the series based on the little excerpt that he gave. His his description of the protagonist was of a a football player who had made it to the NFL and in his first game got hit so hard that he basically died on the field a couple times. And when he recovered, he had both hyperthymesia, which is the inability to forget anything. So he has a perfect memory. Every memory he has what? in his brain is accessible. This is a real thing. Is accessible as if he's watching. He calls it his DVR. He can basically go back and rerun the frames of anything he's ever seen. And he also has thin- synesthesia, which is the crossing of connections of your sensory inputs. So you, you, you taste sound. And you hear visuals and, you know, uh, you see colors where there are none. So he has these two things that make him a really interesting protagonist. And because it's a, a thriller series, the guy is kind of like a detective so it's, it makes for a really interesting main character for as a detective when he can't forget anything. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And he's really smart. So I I'm on the third book of that series. It's called, I think it's called the memory man series or the Amos Decker series, but yeah, I'm on book three and the first two were very good. And it's, you know, it's kind of YA without the Y, if that makes sense. Like it's like a young adult novel without being for young adults. <laughs> It's like Dan Brown, right? Like okay. you ever read a an Dan adult Brown novel,
0: book. but not not an adult novel. An adult novel,
1: <laughs> yeah, yes. It's candy, you know. It, it isn't super filling, but you know, it tastes good. So yeah, I would, those would be the, my recommendations for this week. Two for one, masterclass, and David
0: Baldacci's Memory Man. Series. Yeah, this is fascinating. I didn't know that this service existed, and now I find this to be a really compelling business.
1: It's so I highly recommend. If you can, if you can swing the one hundred and eighty a year, it is so good. I've learned so much, and, and even the stuff that I didn't learn like for myself it was just interesting to know right like i watched the stephen curry thing i don't plan on playing basketball anytime soon but it's just cool to see the
0: behind the scenes stuff i mean know? watching the best the people who are the best at the thing they do teach how to do that thing even if you'll never do it it's, it's like it's like this is why people like watching sports and watching video games it's like i just like seeing good people do their thing <laughs> skilled play skilled play yeah very cool, cool thing. And that's it. That's it. This has been a long episode of Design Details, but we hope you enjoyed it. Packed full of information <laughs> and cool, cool reviews and, and great hot takes, Brian. Let us know what you thought on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Tweet at us. Keep those questions coming. Let us know what you thought of or what you think so far of iOS 13. What did we miss? Are there any quality of life improvements or app updates that are that are really good that we didn't talk about? Otherwise, if you need more podcasts for your ears, go to spec.fm. Our podcast, among many others on spec.fm, are produced by Sarah and Drew, our editors, producers, and people who make us sound smarter than we are. So thank you, Sarah and Drew, for another episode in the books. And that's it. We'll catch you next week. Bye. You do it, Brian. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.